Uh, turn, so turn your Bibles on. Thank you. The kids can be dismissed to Children's Church at this time. There are seven. We're going to look this morning at chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Um, our big idea that we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that our religious rules, that our religious rules often blind us to our condition, the condition of our hearts and our true need. We understand that this, our religious rules can blind us to the condition of our hearts and our true need. Well, in Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to look this morning. We're going to see how some of the things that are going on here oftentimes relate to us. And I want to begin by imagining a uh, situation that, that really begins with the reality that there are two unique ministries that we have in our community that are doing some fantastic work. Uh, one of them is Trinity Mission, the other is Through the Gate. And these two ministries are focused on helping to set individuals free from substances that, that enslave them. When men come to Trinity and women come to Through the Gate, uh, most all of them are very desperate. Uh, most have been in other rehab facilities. Most have long histories of broken relationships. Many have struggled to stay employed, and most have very little hope. But these addiction ministries are having tremendous success Lots of really good things going on as they seek to use the Word of God to teach the liberating power of the gospel of Jesus. As men and women trust Christ, surrender their lives to His will, as they begin to walk in step with the gospel, lives are being transformed. And I want us to consider this morning about what's going on in those ministries and what we're being able to kind of sit on the front row and watch God doing in the lives of, of, of those who come here. And I want you to imagine a scenario a scenario this morning that imagine a few of the individuals that are our participants in these ministries have been coming to our church. They've been in the program for several months and are making great progress. Things are becoming radically different for them. They have humbled themselves before God and they've been born again. They're constantly or consistently attending church. They're getting to know our church family well. They are working hard in their studies at their various houses uh, they're growing in their understanding of God's Word, and they're making amazing progress. And, and let's suppose that, in, in God's wisdom and your grace, have decided that you're going to mentor one of these individuals. And so one of these individuals that have been uh, around for several months, you've had the privilege of mentoring, and you're seeing them make great progress. You've seen them being born again. You're seeing the physical changes going on in them that are reflective of the spiritual change that is going on. And you are absolutely delighted to see what is going on. And so you're in the church one morning, and you're standing in the connection point, having some coffee, and someone comes to you and says to you, hey, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the person you're mentoring. I'm concerned because this morning, as I'm walking into church, I saw them behind the church smoking. What would be your response? What do you think would be Jesus' response? I want to look at our passage this morning. And in our passage, what we are going to see is the amazing work that Jesus has been doing in Galilee and how religious leaders from Jerusalem come up, and what they pick up on, and what they see as going on in this passage. And so let's look at this in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, 
Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come up from Jerusalem, so these are the religious officials that have come up to Jerusalem, uh, come up to Galilee from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of his disciples, they ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, and they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, as we understand the practice that's going on here, that the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, uh, they, loved, they loved the law. They, they, they desired to keep the God, God's law because keeping God's law, they believed, would, would demonstrate that their love for God. And so what they would do is, they, so if this were the law of God, they would build fences around the law of God to make sure you don't violate the law of God. And these traditions had grown up, and one of the traditions had to do with hand-washing. And this hand-washing wasn't like the health department saying, wash your hands before you go back to your meal. It's not that. It's a ceremonial washing. The ceremonial washing that you're not contaminated by Jewish people. You're not contaminated by other things that would be unclean. You're not contaminated. It's not about germs and being becoming sick, but it was about defilement and becoming unclean with God. And only the priests were required to do this. Only the priests were required to do that, and they were to wash their hands in the context of, uh, of their ceremonial uh, worship services. But as tradition grew, this became something everybody was doing, all the Jewish people. And if you were serious about God, if you loved God, this is what you were doing. And so these religious leaders come up to Galilee, and they see that Jesus' disciples, the people following Jesus, aren't following the traditions that they have down in Jerusalem. And they ask a question. Now, the question itself is, is uh, it's probably a fair question. Why don't they do that? But what we see in them asking the question is, it, what we see is that they have completely missed what's going on. Because look back up with me at the end of chapter 6. Look at the chapter 6 and see what it says. In verse 56, it says, And wherever he, that's Jesus, came, in villages, in cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch him, even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So there are these incredible things going on in, in, in Galilee. Jesus is healing people. He has been casting out demons. He has been forgiving sins. He's raised people from the dead. There is significant, tremendous ministry going on. And when the religious leaders show up, they're blind to all that. And what do they notice? These people not keeping their rules. They're blind to that. And as we recognize that, they, they had a good desire in, in wanting to honor God, but they had a very problematic practice. This was not according to God's design. And, and, and what we see in this is that our religious rules, these religious rules that oftentimes we manufacture, can end up causing us to focus on the wrong priorities. 
rather than the priority of Jesus, the, the Jesus of healing people and seeing these tremendous good works going on and then people following him and turning from their sin, repenting, understanding that the kingdom of God is at hand, they're focused on the rules. These rules that aren't written in the law. These are extra-biblical rules, which, by the way, if you have a rule, something that God says don't do, to be able to say, I don't even want to get close to that, it can be very wise. All right, rules can be a wise thing for us, but the challenge is those rules become equated with Scripture, and we end up missing the main point. And that's what seems to be going, that is what's going on here. And what ends up happening is our religious rules end up blinding us to the amazing work that God is doing in the lives of others. That the religious rules were focused on who's keeping those, who's not keeping those, how well we're keeping them, and we're missing the fact that God is seeking to do bigger things. And as we understand that, that, that there are certainly things, when we would think about our example beginning the service with the individual smoking behind the church, that we certainly want to be wise about our bodies. We want to be wise about those type of things. And we realize that, that our bodies matter and those things matter. But in the gospel, what we see whenever we understand the gospel and what God does and he transforms us, what we begin to realize is it's not that the only thing that matters is the gospel. When we get saved, what we realize is everything now matters, but some things matter a whole lot more than others. And it takes wisdom and it takes grace and it takes um, godly discernment to be able to sort through some of those and to realize what's most important because otherwise we're blinded to the work of God. Well, as these religious leaders show up and they question the disciples, look at Jesus' response in verse 6. He says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Okay, probably not what they're expecting. <laughs> you know, that's why are your disciples not eating with washed hands? And Jesus responds to that, that this prophecy in Isaiah that's, 700 years old, he prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. That Jesus looks at their actions and listens to their question and Jesus turns the attention to them and to their hearts. Because the passage says they are honoring God with their lips. They are worshiping Him. But while they're honoring Him with their lips, they're saying stuff that's right. Their hearts are far from Him. As they are worshiping Him by doing the things that the law requires and the Word of God says while they're worshiping Him, that worship is in vain. It's empty. It means nothing. They're going through the motions with no real substance. Why? Because their hearts are far from God. And he says in this that they have, they have left, they've abandoned the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. Now, these people would not say that, well, we clearly, we did that on purpose. We abandoned the law of God because we were focused on this. They thought by keeping all of this and focusing on this that they were keeping the law. But they were blind to it. Just as can happen to us. And I'm convinced sometimes it happens to us the longer we're in church. 
the longer that we're believers because we're thankful for the grace that God gives us. And as we mature and as God purges our lives from a whole variety of things that can be destructive and corrupting, we think that others should be where we are. And the progression that's taking place over our lives over a whole bunch of years, we think somebody that's just come to Christ, well, they need to get with it. I mean, I don't do those things anymore. If they're a believer in Jesus, how could they be doing these things? Keeping our, they're breaking our rules. And as we see this, the challenge with that is that what's happening with these Pharisees and these scribes is what can happen to us, is that these religious rules can make us feel confident before God. I'm confident before God. I'm washing my hands before I eat. I'm doing all of these things for God. We could say in our, in our contemporary culture or uh, a church culture sometimes, listen, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do, I don't do any of those things. Look how righteous I am. These become the measures. These rules, these extra biblical rules become the measure of our spirituality. That's what these scribes and Pharisees believe, that they are now what measures them is the keeping of rules, not the loving of God. And they're blind to that. And Jesus confronts them with it. Their hearts are far from him. Their worship is empty. They've abandoned the commandments of God. And we can imagine they probably didn't receive this real well. They're probably like blown away by Jesus saying that and very likely wanted to go on the defensive and to describe why they're doing that. But before they say anything, Jesus continues in verse 9. And he continues with an example, a very clear example of how they're worshiping is in vain and they've abandoned the word of God. It says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles mother, father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And so Jesus picks, he says, you guys are break, doing this in a whole variety of ways. Here's an example. And, and, and what they're doing is they're pitting the word of God against itself. For instance, in Exodus chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments, commandment number five says to honor your father and mother. Is that a clear commandment? Absolutely. One of the ways that we honor a father and mother, particularly in that culture, was to meet their financial needs as they got older. They can't work. Social Security and those kinds of things aren't in place. And so their family is responsibility to care for mom and dad. Honor your father and mother. Clear command of God. But they're a lot like us. They like their money, right? And we don't have control over money. And we don't want to spend money on what we don't want to spend money on. And so they came up with this thing called Corbin. And this Corbin idea is the idea that they making a vow. And this idea of making a vow is tied up in Numbers 30. Okay, so listen to what Numbers chapter 30 verse 1 says. It says, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribe of Israel saying, this is what the Lord commanded. Okay, here's a law of God. Listen up. If a man vows a vow to the Lord 
or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So the command here is, you make a vow, you keep the vow. God says, be a person of your word, don't break it. So what have they done? In this culture, what they did, they're supposed to honor mother and father, but what they did, they made a vow. A vow about their money. All of my money is now belongs to God. I'm committing all of my money to God, and I'm going to manage it, and I'm only going to use it for the things I want to according to this. And because I'm making this vow that all my money's for this, can't use any money for you, Mom and Dad. And so they're pitting the Word of God against itself. They're saying, I'm going to keep this commandment, and I'm going to do this and break this one. And watch Jesus say, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites because you are worshiping me in vain. He is saying that you are trying to to play games with the Word of God. And Jesus is not having any of it. And as we think about how our religious rules can easily get into that in our own hearts, I think that we can be guilty of things very similar, but not quite as spelled out. I mean, for instance, the Scriptures say to us, the scriptures tell parents, train up your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So when I was in Michigan as a youth pastor, we'd have family, uh, families would say to us, listen, we know God's called us to have train up our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we're not going to come bring our kids uh, to youth group or be in church on different times because we're going to have family time. And guess what family time consisted of? Everybody on their own digital device doing everything in their own room. But what were they doing? They're saying, well, the Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go. And so those Scriptures that talk about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, we're going to let that one go. We're going to keep this one. Or it gets turned around. We're committed to, the Scriptures say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that I have a responsibility that we need to be with the church. And the Scripture says, train up your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So what do I do? I come to church every time the doors open, and I'm trusting the youth pastor and the pastors to be able to train my kids, and we never talk about the Word of God at home. I'm righteous, though. I'm doing what I said. God says, train up your kids. I've taken them to church. We do this in a variety of ways. We sometimes, we know that God's Word says that we are to speak the truth in love. Jesus has clearly called us to speak the truth in love. But oftentimes we convince convince ourselves that the best way for us to love others is to stay quiet rather than stir up strife. And so we cowardly deny the word of God. And we say, well, I'm loving them. I'm just loving them. No, you're not. You're not speaking truth. And we want to pit one part of God's word against another. And that's not a biblical way of handling Scripture. The Scriptures are a unified whole. That as we read the Scriptures well, nowhere do we see obeying one commandment causes us to break another one. But as we read about these Pharisees and we think, man, those guys, that's horrible. But we look in the mirror sometimes and we're blind to our own games that we play with God. We often know that we're to be kind, compassionate, tender-hearted. But we convince ourselves because of this situation and I'm so frustrated by it, I'm so angry by it, that the manner in which I'm going to speak to God, they need truth. And so now I'm the truth teller. And I abandon the love. 
We pit these word of God against this. We, we, we sometimes know that we are to, to speak truth. We know that we are to be truth tellers. And we know that we are to love others. We know that we are to be honest. But oftentimes what we do, they say, well, I'm just going to love them. And I love them by playing games with God's truth. And so I'm only going to tell you the things that I want you to know. I'm only going to tell you the things that I think that you want to hear because I want you to think about the situation the way I want you to think about the situation. And so what is the result? I'm being deceitful. But we think, well, I'm, 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 I'm pure as a driven snow. Keeping all these other rules. I mean, listen, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all that. Like, check, 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 check. And we excuse our disobedience to God. We see this in these people. We see it in ourselves. And, and as I think about this, that we would be a people that would humble ourselves and to say, God, reveal in my heart where I'm blind. God, help me to see the foolishness and the foolishness of trying to play these games with you. God, pierce my heart. Convict me. And that we would then repent and seek forgiveness and then start following him and not playing these games. Well, these religious rules not only can cause us to focus on wrong priorities, following religious rules can also cause us to misunderstand our greatest problem. We often misunderstand our greatest problem. If we would recognize that Jesus and these Jewish leaders had one thing that they agreed on, and what they agreed on is that our greatest problem is that we can be unclean before God. Being unclean before God, that's our biggest problem. Sin and the gap that that creates, the way that sin impacts us, that is our greatest problem. The challenge that they were facing is, where does that uncleanliness come from? Because look what it says in verse 14. And he called the people to him. So the, the religious leaders, we're not sure, they parted ways with Jesus. And in verse 14, Jesus calls the people to him, who are likely hearing some of this go on. And he says, hear me, all of you. And understand, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person, that is what defiles him. And so Jesus then goes in verse 17, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So Jesus says to them, he says, Then are you also without understanding? They don't get it yet, but Jesus says, do you see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and it is expelled? And he's saying, listen, this idea that eating with unwashed, ceremonially unwashed hands, this tradition, if you think that's going to make people unclean, it won't, that's not what makes people unclean. It's not dirt coming into us from the outside that makes us unclean. And he describes why. He says that dirt that comes in, it doesn't pass through your heart. It passes through your what? Through your stomach and is, is expelled. Now, without getting real graphic about this, he says, listen, that stuff doesn't make you unclean because it ends up in the toilet. So that's not what impact, that's not what makes you unclean. But... But I think we sometimes think that too. We think that what's going to impact us and what our problem is, is what's out there coming into us. We think that's our greatest problem, just as they did. But Jesus turns that on its head. He turns this upside down because he then says, 
he says in, um, well, at the end of verse 20, at the end of verse 19, after saying it's expelled, he declared all foods clean, which is a huge idea, right? Jesus said all this Old Testament ceremonial dietary laws, no more. And they're no more because all of those laws, all of that, they were all pointing this to Jesus. They were leading us to understand about the Messiah, separation, and a whole variety of things. And now Jesus is here, and now eat what you want. Eat shellfish. Eat bacon, praise the Lord. Eat the other kind of stuff that was unclean, right? You can have all of that now. Why? Because bacon, eating bacon, that's not going to make you unclean. It comes in and it goes out. So we recognize that our greatest problem is being unclean before God. But we recognize that that, that we are not unclean because of what comes into us. Jesus says this in verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these, all of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's not the stuff that comes into you, passes through your stomach and ends up in a toilet that defiles you. What defiles you is the toilet of your heart. And there's nothing clean that comes out of that. And he says, that's the problem. And we're confronted with this reality now that Jesus says that our biggest problem is not what's outside, what people have done to me, the things, the temptations and things that are in front of me. My biggest problem is inside of me. It is my heart. My heart is my problem. And the challenge with my heart being my problem is I can't escape it. My heart is an essential part of who I am. This is not this physical heart, but this heart is a seat of my love. The heart is a seed of my love. The heart is what do I love? And what is my problem? My problem is what I love, and I love all the wrong things. I love me first and most. And because I love me first and most, what do I do? I have evil thoughts. Somebody does something mean to me, let them get away with that. These evil thoughts show up into my mind. I see something that tempts me sexually, and what happens? That just goes to play in my mind, and what do I do? Then I carry out that act, I carry out an act of sexual immorality, theft, rather than, but why? I love me, and because I love me, what do I do? I want to be a taker. I want to get what I can get. Because I love me, I murder. I can't, I'm not going to let them get away with that. And I have this murderous intention in my heart. Adultery. Keep covenant. I don't want to keep covenant. You believe what they've done to me? I'm not going to keep covenant with them. I love me. Coveting. Man, I, should, I deserve more than what I have. I deserve more. I, man, I can't believe I only make this much money. I deserve to make more money than that. I deserve a better house than this. I deserve to go to a better school than this. I deserve more than that. Slander. <laughs> they said that about me. Guess what I'm saying about them. Tap, 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 tap. Click social media. Ta-da. Justice has been served, right? Slander. We look about, we could just look through these foolishness, pride, and all of these things aren't coming at us because of what other people do to us. What happens? They come because my heart is corrupt. And my heart is corrupt because I'm born into a human race that has fallen. 
I inherit the sin of Adam. And what do I do? Because I've inherited the sin of Adam, I do what Adam does. When I'm told not to do something, I do what I want to do anyway. And God calls that sin. And we realize that this is what causes our problems. And we would see this, and, 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 and then we realize that, that we are unclean because of the stuff that is flowing out of us, not that what flows into us. And so we could say it this way. We don't become unclean before God. We are unclean before God. That's different. You see, if I become unclean, then I need to avoid all this stuff. If I am unclean, my biggest need is to get clean. If it's to stay clean, I just got to keep stuff out, keep stuff out, keep stuff out, keep stuff out. If I am unclean, I got to be changed. And that's where Jesus is going with this. We've got to be changed because we realize that our greatest problem is an unclean heart in us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says our heart is wicked. It is desperately sick. Apart from Jesus Christ, all of these things are true in all of us. We see in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous. None righteous. That's, that's you. That's me. That's none of us. No one, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so if you think that you're the one, there are a lot of people who want to meet you, right? Or I'm guessing, just ask the person sitting next to you, and they're going to say, you're not the one, right? No one, no, not one. And this is humbling. This is, I mean, this is not feel good about yourself. This is see yourself accurately. Because when we begin to see ourselves accurately, we realize we need help. And the beautiful thing is we have a God who's offered us help. Because in the midst of all of this, what do we see? That our religious rules, our religious rules, listen, they can cause us to focus on wrong priorities Our religious rules can cause us to misunderstand our greatest problem. But our religious rules cannot do what only God can do. And so what does God do that we can't? Only God can cleanse us from our sin. Only God can cleanse our hearts. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, that indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. And what is the condition of our hearts? fallen, sinful, broken. What has God done? He has sent His Son, Jesus, to come and to live a sinless life so that whenever He dies on the cross, He takes our sins, our unrighteousness. And when we repent and believe the gospel, He gives us His perfect righteousness. This transaction takes place. Only God can do that. Only He can cleanse us from our sin. And what we realize as well is that only God can change our unclean hearts. Turn to this passage with me. The book of Ezekiel is an Old Testament passage. Last one we're going to look at this morning. Ezekiel chapter 26. This is on page 713 in the Pew Bible. No, it's not. Chapter 36. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26. It is on page 724 in your Pew Bible. So we realize what is our condition? Our religious rules can't make us clean before God. Our religious rules can't change our unclean hearts. 
Look, so look with me. And this is the book of Ezekiel written hundreds of years before Jesus came, before, this, this, this whole, uh, to, before he came to help us to understand this. And it says this, Ezekiel 36, 26. And I, that's God, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And we should say, praise God, there's hope. Because if my biggest problem is not out there, but my biggest problem is in here, my biggest problem is a seat of my love, that I love me first and most, if anything's going to change, I've got to have a new heart. And right here in these Old Testament passages, God is promising us, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to provide that, a new heart. And whenever we come to Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Him, and we cry out, God, forgive me of my sins, make me new. And we read the passage Jess talked about earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Why? Because God plucks this heart of stone out of us to start the heart that loves me, and he gives me a heart of flesh that loves him. And now everything changes. Everything changes. Keep your place here, but, but listen to... listen. So, rather than our earlier passage, rather than being filled with evil thoughts... What comes to my mind when somebody sins against me in evil thoughts? It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm a sinner too, and God has shown me grace, and rather than, rather than entertaining these evil thoughts, I'm going to show grace. Rather than sexual immorality, man, Jesus has given me a new heart. I love him more than I love me. I'm going to pursue purity. Rather than theft, and I'm going to take and take and take, I have a new heart that loves others, so now my life is about give and give and give. Rather than murder, I'm going to show grace. Rather than adultery, I'm going to keep my covenants. Rather than coveting, I'm going to be content. Rather than wickedness, I'm going to pursue righteousness. Rather than deceit, I pursue truth. Rather than sensuality, I live according to truth. Rather than envy, I'm going to celebrate when others do well. Rather than slander, I'm going to trust Christ with, my, with myself. Rather than pride, I become humble. And rather than foolishness, I become wise. Old's gone. New has come. Why? Because I've been given a new heart. And then the passage, not only does God cleanse us from our sin, not only does he give us a new heart, but our passage in Ezekiel also says in verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you. God gives us a new heart. Now he's given us his spirit. And he says, and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. What does Jesus do? Plucks the heart of stone, gives us the heart of Christ. To love Him, to love Him, to, rather than loving us, He gives us a new spirit, and this new spirit now empowers me to live for Him. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Our religious rules can't cleanse us from sin, they can't change our heart, and they can't empower us to live for Jesus. The only thing that does that is the grace of God and a new heart. And this morning, I want to encourage you to examine yourself, to consider where are you? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ leads us to focus on the right priorities. So rather than being concerned that a guy who was stuck in addiction for decades has now been rescued from Christ, radical change go in place, they're smoking behind the church, we're thinking, man, praise God, they're in church and they're doing great. 
God's going to work on that in his timing. I need to keep the right priorities. And, and as we think about that, this, this unclean hands, that God wants to clean our hands, that he wants to clean our hearts. That's his focus, that we realize that not religious rules, but the Savior who delivers our hearts, that's the new priority. It's hearts, not primarily behavior. And we realize in the midst of all of this that God is good to us, and he's provided all of this for us through Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning as we wrap up and sing a song in just a moment to examine your own heart, to say, what does my demonstrate that it loves most, me or God? What is coming out of my heart whenever bad stuff comes to me? What's my response? We're going to sing a song called All I Have is Christ. And all we have is Christ because that's all we need. It gives us a new heart, a new spirit, causes us to walk in His statutes, to keep His rules, to make us new, and to transform us. So I'll pray and we'll sing. Father, we thank you that you've loved us. Lord, I pray that you would convict us this morning of playing games with you and your law. God, that we would not be focused on our rules, but your love. And Lord, we realize that that's going to have impact. And so we recognize that there are things that we'll need to do differently as we trust you as our Savior. But God, we do those things not to become clean, but because you've cleansed our hearts. God, help us this morning. I pray if there's some here today who would say they don't know where their heart is this morning, that they would repent, they would look to you. God, I pray for those who are drifting this morning, that you would anchor them into your truth. God, I pray for those who are doing well this morning. I pray that you'll continue to help them to pursue you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, and together we would rejoice at your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.